The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome everybody. This is Hawkbox. Let's get into your headlines. The House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. I'm directing our six committees to proceed with their investigations under that umbrella of impeachment inquiry. The president must be held accountable. No one is above the law. The S&P 500 logs its worst day in a month as Democrats launch an impeachment inquiry into President Trump over alleged abuse of power. President Trump slams the inquiry as a total witch hunt and says he'll release the transcript of his call with Ukraine's president to ease concerns over whether he urged Kiev to probe a political rival. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson cuts short his visit to New York as opposition leaders demand he resigns after the Supreme Court rules his suspension of Parliament was unlawful. I disagree profoundly uh, with what they had to say. I think it was entirely right to uh, go ahead with a plan for a Queen's speech. We've got a dynamic uh, domestic agenda we need to be getting on with. We work CEO Adam Newman bows to pressure and resigns, calling the scrutiny directed towards him a significant distraction. So very good morning, everybody. So was it the speech on China in the UN or was it the politics that did for the markets yesterday? Well, you can make up your own mind here. Let's talk about the impeachment first. US House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has started a formal impeachment inquiry into the president, in part as a result of pressure from Democrats in the lower chamber. Trump is accused of offering military aid to Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, in exchange for an investigation into Democrats rival Joe Biden and his family. Announcing the start of the impeachment probe, Pelosi said Trump had, quote, violated the law and betrayed the United States. This week, the president has admitted to asking the president of Ukraine to take actions which would benefit him politically. The, action of the, tr- the actions of the Trump presidency revealed the dishonorable fact of the president's betrayal of his oath of office betrayal of our national security, and betrayal of the integrity of our elections. Trump tweeted that a fully declassified and unredacted transcript of a recent phone conversation with Zelensky will be released on Wednesday. He said the call was, quote, very friendly and totally appropriate and accused the Democrats of conducting a witch hunt against him. So let's take a look at the U.S. markets from overnight. And, and you know, I had a fascinating uh, conversation with my colleagues before I came on air. And I'll just give you a little snapshot into uh, the, the, the prism that is the pre-show uh, conversation. We were thinking, well, you know, what was the catalyst for this market decline? And funnily enough, we didn't necessarily uh, hone in on one thing. Was it the data? Was it concern about the consumer confidence data as well? Was it about the speech from Mr. Trump looking at renewed hostilities potentially or longer term issues with China over trade? Or was it, of course, uh, the rumours that were going around that Nancy Pelosi was about to embark on the impeachment process uh, of the president through the House of Representatives as well? 
And in many ways, it doesn't matter. Because if we're looking back and reading what happened, what actually happened was this. The market was down aggressively. The S&P was down eight tenths of 1%. The Nasdaq was down 1.5%. Actually, the rationale for it doesn't matter if you're looking backward. It only matters if you think the same catalyst will be affecting today today's trade and thereafter. So actually, all three issues are very relevant when you're looking forward to see whether there's a longer term strain here, i.e. is the data pointing to a marked slowdown in the United States? Will the trade anxieties continue way past the elections of November 2020? Uh, and, and of course, is the impeachment process actually going to get uh, some form of legs as well? So very interesting to look at the factors. Looking backwards, doesn't matter. The net net was the fact that we saw energy moving aggressively to the downside, utilities acting as a bit of a defensive bulwark for the market, limiting some of those declines. But what matters, as I say, is how those factors affect the market going forward. Asian indices, let's take a look at how they are currently trading. I beg your pardon, we're looking at the US futures first. Right, let's see, where are they? Right, the US futures are currently trading uh, higher, as you can see. So some of those factors that took us down yesterday, just being taken out a little bit from the mix today. Right, Asian indices look like this. We are down 1% on the Hang Seng. 26.031 is where we're currently trading. And across the board, the Asian indices are under a lot of pressure. Let's have a look at the opening calls for European markets. Uh, down across the board. Jeff. Thanks very much indeed, Steve. Well, let's uh, focus on uh, how this story unfolded. NBC News reporter Susan McGuinness has more on the impeachment inquiry and, of course, Trump's fiery reaction to the news. Following closed-door meetings with House Democrats, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi makes a stunning announcement to the nation late Tuesday. The House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. Pelosi said the president betrayed his oath of office and the nation's security in seeking to enlist a foreign power for his own political gain. It's really a sad day for our country, actually. Pelosi, who for months has resisted taking impeachment action, did so under growing pressure from House Democrats. At a certain point, you have to take a stand and say, we cannot, for posterity, allow this kind of thing to go on in our political process. The president called the move a continuation of the witch hunt and said the speaker's move will hurt Democrats. And if she does that, they all say that's a positive for me from the election. The impeachment action comes as more details have emerged about the president's July phone call with Ukraine's president. And questions have grown about whether he withheld foreign aid to Ukraine to get officials there to investigate former Vice President Joe Biden and Biden's son. There was no pressure put on them whatsoever, but there was pressure put on with respect to Joe Biden. What Joe Biden did for his son, that's something they should be looking at. The administration now says it will release a transcript of the Ukraine call on Wednesday. And Politico reports the White House is preparing to release the whistleblower complaint at the center of the impeachment inquiry by week's end. Susan McGinnis, NBC News, Washington. The formal impeachment process would start in the House where a member would have to introduce a resolution saying the president is suspected of being guilty of treason bribery or high crimes or misdemeanors. If the measure gains a simple majority, 
the trial will then begin in the Senate. Now, if at least two-thirds of senators find the president guilty, and we must remind people uh, the Senate is still held by the Republicans, he would then be removed from office and the vice president would take over for the remainder of his term. Peter Trubovitz has joined us. He is Department Head of International Relations and Director of the U.S. Center at the LSE. Peter, very good morning to you. Morning. In the history of the United States, the history of successful impeachments is somewhat checkered. Now, let me change that. Is actually nil successful impeachments. And despite what people think about Mr. Nixon in 1974, he was never actually formally impeached. He went from the Judiciary Committee, never got to the House, and he resigned before that as well. The only two impeachments, as we all know, from the last century, Mr. Clinton, and from the century before that, I believe, circa 1865, Andrew Johnson. So why... <clears throat> 1868. 1865, the start of the process, though, yes. wasn't it? Yeah. So, look, here's my problem with this. Why is Nancy Pelosi, who has resisted this for some time because she knows of the political ramifications, yeah. why has she moved on this now? I think the main reason is, is that her caucus has changed. So um, she resisted it because many moderate Democrats, um, people that won Republican seats, basically, in 2018, had opposed it. And the needle has moved inside the caucus, and it was reflected in an editorial that was run in the Washington Post two days ago, where five moderate Democrats came out in favor of impeachment proceedings. And so I think just the ground has shifted underneath her, and that she's essentially catching up with what is the base of the party right now, or where the center of gravity is in the party. She has resisted this for months, as you point out. Um, one would think that she may be privy to the unredacted uh, transcript of the conversation between Mr. Zelensky and Mr. Trump if she's been so forthright and gone forward. Is that your understanding at all? Um, bear in mind, again, the resisting of impeachment has spanned the whole length of the Mueller inquiry and before and after. I'm assuming that she has a pretty good sense of what, what, what happened on that call and just as importantly who the whistleblower is. Um, and so I think the credibility of the whistleblower will matter a great deal here. There was a vote yesterday in the Senate to actually uh, have the whistleblower come up to um, uh, Capitol Hill. Uh, and, you know, and that may very well happen. And, you know, that will be, in addition to being incredible theater, very critical, it seems to me, to the way this story uh, unfolds. Can I ask you about the allegations? Because mm -hmm. what has been alleged is that Mr. Trump pressured the president of Ukraine to open a corruption investigation right. into former Vice President Joe Biden, uh, leading contender, of course, coming up to the 2020 presidential election. Right. What do you make of these allegations? Because in context, this is a president who, the whole way through his presidency, has faced allegations around Russia. So in terms of a learning exercise, surely there would have been learning for the president around the red lines to cross in terms of inter political interference with the Russians. Same case with Ukraine. So, so what do you make of the allegations as they stand? Well, um, I mean, I, what I would say about this is, yeah, you would think that the president would have learned over time what he can and cannot do. On the other hand, he might have concluded from the Mueller report that he's got a green light and that he can do what he has been doing and simply get away with it. The, um, uh, I mean, the monkey on the back, as, as Karen points out, has been uh, the relationship with Putin. So the irony that we're now talking about Ukraine, right. given the dynamics between those two countries, is fascinating. Yes. Um, my question would be, you know, this once again flags up 
the same issues that were raised around Russia, i.e. Trump's relationship with the intelligence communities here. And with his own base, surely that war has already been fought and won. They will not be swayed in this Ukrainian story because as far as they're concerned, it's the same story being played out again. Yes, I think that's one of the reasons that Pelosi has been very reluctant is she knows this issue is going to play well for Trump with his base. Impeachment, it rarely happens, but it does polarize and it will polarize here. Um, and, uh, you know, he w he's already running on it. As of immediately afterwards, he yeah. tweeted that it was presidential harassment, it's a witch hunt, yeah. and he will go down that path. So, so let me ask you then, in terms of smart politics running yeah. into the presidential election race in 2020, is this smart politics from the Democrats, given that Trump has the ability with his communication technique to turn this round and f use it as a way of sparking support from his own base at this stage. And let, let's be clear here, we've still got 19 Democratic presidential hopefuls in the race. There's no clear candidate at this point who right. stands up to Trump. So is there a, a big risk that they're doing the wrong thing here? There's definitely a big risk. People forget that Republicans in 1998 lost the House after impeaching uh, yeah. Bill Clinton. And the so the races were 72 percent. Right. That time. You know, and and the public is not behind this yet. As of July, I think I, I saw a poll. There's about 60 percent of the American public was opposed to impeachment. But this story is different than the Mueller story. It is very stark. It's pretty easy to understand. It has the whole Russia connection, which cuts both ways inside the United States. For his base, maybe not an issue. For a lot of Americans, a big issue. And, um, and it has this national security dimension to it. And that is one of the reasons that a lot of moderate Democrats moved over on this issue inside so, just, the House. Peter, on the point around the Democrats, there was a feeling that maybe there would be a Warren-Harris ticket, an all-female ticket, yeah. but with some of the support that Ms. Nala just uh, swept behind Joe <coughs> Biden on the back of this story, could it sway who ends up on the final ticket for the Democrats and could it be a misstep because some believe Joe Biden is simply unelectable? Uh, I don't think this is good news for Joe Biden, frankly. Um, he is going to be dragged into this story. There's going to be a lot of stuff that comes out about his family. And I just don't see how it really helps him. Um, you know, so I think actually it probably helps his competitors inside the race. Peter, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Good Peter to be here. With us, uh, the Department Head of International Relations and Director of the US Center, LSC. We're going to squeeze in a quick break ahead. Boris Johnson gets set to face MPs for the first time after the Supreme Court rules his decision to suspend Parliament is unlawful. Those details are next. CNBC Signature Event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nansha, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors, and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend.
Boris Johnson has been forced to cut short his visit to New York after the Supreme Court ruled his suspension of Parliament was unlawful. The British Prime Minister will face MPs who have been recalled to Parliament following the unanimous verdict. Speaking alongside President Trump at the UN General Assembly meeting, Johnson said he vehemently opposed the ruling. We respect the judiciary in our country. We respect the, uh, the court. I, I disagree profoundly. Uh, with what they had to say. I think it was entirely right to uh, go ahead with a plan for a Queen's speech. This is, a, 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 this is the longest period. We haven't had a Queen's speech for, uh, for 400 years. We've got a dynamic uh, domestic agenda we need to be getting on with. Opposition leader Jeremy Corbyn has led calls for Johnson to resign. In his party conference speech, Corbyn criticised the Prime Minister for what he believes was an attempt by Johnson to push through a no-deal Brexit. The Prime Minister acted illegally when he tried to shut down opposition to his reckless and disastrous plan to crash out of the European Union without a deal. But he has failed. The government will be held to account for what it has done. Boris Johnson has been found to have misled the country. This unelected prime minister should now resign. Well, let's get out to Willem from Westminster. Willem calls for Johnson to resign. Those around him who advised on the lengthy suspension of Parliament to resign. Question marks around Brexit and also criticism of the judges, whether there was an overreach yesterday. Just talk us through about the stunning turn of events here in the UK. Well, the challenge is going to be getting Boris Johnson to resign, given that he seems unlikely and unwilling to do that. So then the next question for parliamentarians as they come back into session later on this morning is quite how you get rid of a prime minister and the mechanism exists it's called the vote of no confidence but if you have a vote of no confidence in theory you have two weeks after that confidence vote to try and find a fresh majority and therefore a fresh potentially caretaker government the challenge is going to be that all of these opposition parties are united in their disdain currently for boris johnson's conservative-led minority government united in their view that a no-deal Brexit is a bad idea and they should seek to block it. But beyond that, there's a lot of disunity amongst these opposition lawmakers. I had a chance to speak to some of them yesterday and ask them essentially what they were planning to do next. Our duty as parliamentarians is to seek a proper remedy for the situation in which we find ourselves. The remedy for that will be a people's vote. Because if we go for a general election first, that does not deal with the single issue which we are facing. We, all of us know what the single issue we are facing is, and we all of us want a resolution to it. There are certain things that we can do, for instance, to be absolutely certain that the Prime Minister will be required to seek an extension. Uh, so we will do that. There are other actions that we can take, and one of those, which I hope we will uh, take, is uh, trying to pass a bill that would lock the Prime Minister into linking any deal he secures, if he does secure one with the European Union, to a referendum. Because I think we are now there in terms of the numbers of MPs who see that as a way out of the, the quagmire, frankly, that we are in as a country on Brexit. 
We will then uh, pass motions demanding the government publishes all of the impact studies into the uh, no-deal Brexit, which has refused to do so far. We will also demand the publication of all the communications between Mr Johnson and his advisers that prove that he lied to the Queen. And then we will see what else we need to do to prevent a no-deal Brexit and ensure that the people's voice in this country is heard, either through an another general election or preferably another referendum. But once we've secured that we're not leaving the European Union, the opposition must come together, force a vote of no confidence, take Boris Johnson out of office and have a general election. That is the way that we should be going. As you can see, a range of views from various party leaders and senior lawmakers. You can either try and hold the government to account, you can try and strengthen the existing legislation to block a no-deal Brexit at the end of October in case the Prime Minister and his government try to somehow circumvent it. You can push for a general election, you can go for a referendum. Whether they try to do that this week remains uncertain. All of the Labour voices I've heard over the last 24 hours or so indicate they will not be pushing for a vote of no confidence today because there is not enough support for a Jeremy Corbyn-led government in the interim to try and take the country past October 31st and into a general election. So at the moment, Things remain in flux. I hate to say it. There is still a huge amount of uncertainty going into this new parliamentary session. One thing is clear. Boris Johnson has become a real focus of lawmakers' anger, and he should expect a very, very tough time of it in the coming days, guys. Yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to get a PMQs today as well, even that's a bit too smart for uh, a bit too soon for a parliament. But yeah, 11.30, we kick off today. Excellent tape there. Thanks very much indeed for all your work. Let's get to Constantine Fraser, analyst of European political research at TS Lombard. And of course, uh, Professor Peter Trubovitz is still with us as well. Thank you very much indeed, gentlemen. Look, um, I listened to an overexcited reporter on the radio list saying what he thought had happened after the judgment from these senior law lords yesterday. And I was already disseminating what he was had to say and, and obviously feeding on the back of what Willem had to say there. Nothing has changed. It is absolutely damning for the Prime Minister yesterday. A real yeah. drubbing from the courts as well. A unanimous verdict. But in terms of the political situation, the political maths both here in the United Kingdom and in Brussels, tell me I'm wrong, Constantine. Tell no. me something's changed because I want to be able to no, take this story forward. I think you're absolutely right. I think from the, from the point of view of the Brexit story, nothing really has changed. We might be looking back in 10 years' time and see this as a really important constitutional case. Mm. But from the point of view of the Brexit process, the deadline's still the 31st of October. There's still legislation in place that says that if Boris hasn't passed a de deal by the 19th of October, he's going he's going to have to go and ask for an extension. Mm. Um, so none of the real fundamentals now have changed. It looks like we're heading for a, an election and a, a, an extension and then a, an election. And that's, that's the same so as it was three days ago. from the European point of view, before Peter comes back in... What, what do they make of this? Do they, do they give their final little bit of leeway that they may well have over the language and the transition period and over how the backstop's caused and whether there's some agricultural cohesion between the two? Or it's the island of Ireland. Mm. I mean, what do the Europeans give on this one as well? Looking at this battered prime minister here in the UK. I mean, well, they're all now tearing their hair out because they ideally now would like a deal passed and to, to get this to sort of move on mm. past this this whole process. Um, but it's it's difficult to strike a deal if you're not sure that any concessions you make are actually going to get the deal, are going to, are going to sell it. Mm. Um, so I think the, the, the wiggle room now for, for Boris is, is very limited. It's going to be very difficult to get a new, de a, a new deal. It was always going to be difficult to get a new deal struck in, in October. And it's even harder now that he seems so weak at home. Um, and it's, we're, it, it seems to me like we're heading for an extension. Peter? Oh, sorry. 
Any thoughts on this from afar, or, 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 or are you actively participating in the British political travails, or just the U.S. Uh, well, ones? you know, I understand U.S. politics, British politics is impossible. Um, is it? Uh, no, I'm just teasing. I, I, constitution I mean, I would agree. I mean, it just looks like uh, he is either going to have to go for an extension or go to that ditch. Yeah. Mm. Um, um, Giva Hofstadt obviously was straight out there on the tape immediately yes, after that announcement, <laughs> uh, crowing about Boris can no longer accuse Brussels of being undemocratic here. To what extent does that tone and flavour of response from Brussels perhaps uh, in- indicate the broader view at this point, that this is one in the eye for Boris Johnson and the Prime Minister, and actually puts Brussels on a stronger footing when it comes to that key Brexit summit that's coming up. Yes, well, it's hard to say because I think it's, you know, I think it's, it's, there's, there may be a little bit of glee there from, from, from people like Eva Hofstadt, but really Brussels is frustrated. Um, Brussels is frustrated that this isn't, you know, they would ideally like the UK to be out of the EU, parked in a transitional, a sort of a transitional state where we still belong to all these economic structures and where um, really we can't do any damage uh, and where we stop distracting them from the things they'd like to move on with. Um, I, this is now a, a problem of kind of, they now see this as a problem with political instability in a, in a big member state. And that's not something they're particularly pleased with. Was there really a knot around the fortunes of Boris Johnson on the back of yesterday? Because, again, we've seen a prime minister who seems chaotic, that may not be in charge of the process. And at the same time this week, we have heard some very strong anti-business comments from the Labour Party conference around a working week, for instance, changes that would have fairly significant ramifications on this country. Did you see an avenue to a Jeremy Corbyn government yesterday based on Boris Johnson's fortunes? Well, I mean, it's the, the problem with the electorate, the, the UK electorate this year has been extremely volatile, as we saw in the spring with the European elections. And the combination of that and the, and the, the, the UK electoral system means that we, we're going, to a, going into a general election and no one really knows what will happen. Um, what does seem quite unlikely, at the very least, is a Jeremy Corbyn majority government. It seems likely that if Labour were returned to power, they'd be in a, a messy coalition and reliant on... on on other smaller parties for support, which would pro- almost certainly moderate how they're how they're able to um, uh, to to bring into force their more their more radical policies. Um, as I was listening to the coverage yesterday, what was interesting on the channel I was listening to, they took a lot of audience feedback, yeah. and immediately there yes. were a number of letters and emails read out that basically said, this is an establishment stitch-up, yeah. this is the equivalent of the deep state, I suppose, yeah. in the US context, yeah. at work here. Yes. Um, what are the risks at this point? What would they like to have done it, the ECJ? <laughs> what are the risks at this point that this becomes something more significant in terms of protests on the streets of the UK? Uh, well, that the I mean, parliamentarians lose control of this, and that the people feel disenfranchised. Well, I think the problem. I mean, we felt we've, we have ended up in a culture war, as uh, you know, as, and Peter knows what that looks like. Um, the um, the I mean, the Brits are very uh, are never very prone to street demonstrations or strikes or anything of that kind. It tends not to be the how how UK politics bubbles up, I suppose. Um, what what is clear is that we have two main parties which are now polarising very rapidly, not only over 
general political economy issues, but also over the Brexit question itself. You, sorry, I know we got it. Constantine, I disagree with you vehemently. How can you say the Labour Party is polarising after the absolute debacle of that vote earlier yes. this week? Yes. Where you had Jenny Formby next to the other lady on the stage, and, yeah. and there was a show of hands that was clearly saying they want to remain, and yet the momentum was a lot yeah. were cramming the hall and weren't necessarily even Labour members. Yes. I saw no polarisation in Labour Party. Well, I saw three different hands on the table, and then trying to play all three. Well, they've now mo- they have now moved to a to advocating a second referendum, which until until which a year election, ago, a, a, a year ago, stance on Brexit yeah, until they um, might negotiate well, something at some yeah, stage later yeah. in the future. Um, That's polarised. That is, I mean, a year ago, a year ago that Jeremy Corbyn was, was resisting the shuffle towards a second referendum quite, um, uh, quite enthusiastically, and now he's had to cave. And yeah. the party is drifting towards a more pro-Remain position, just as the Tories have been drifting towards no deal. Try telling that to Jeremy Corbyn. Mm. <laughs> Fascinating, as ever, as Peter says, it's very confusing British politics. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.